I wonder if you can tell me how much you think your mum is worth. Oh, how much do you think your mum is worth? Any ideas? Well, I'm going to tell you this morning. I'm going to tell you exactly how much she's worth. Exactly, to the nearest penny. I'm going to tell you. All right? Some of the things that you'll see now could apply to dads as well. And the dads will be sitting there saying, I do that. I do that. Well, we're assuming mum does it all this morning. Seeing as it's Mothering Sunday. Okay? So here we go. Oh, I've got to point it in the right direction. I'm sorry, John. Oh, it's come up. The value of a mum. Now, I've assumed the minimum wage of £7.20 an hour. Now, I think that's about right. It might be a little bit more by now, but it's about £7.20 an hour. And here she is as a cook. And I put 21 hours a week for cooking. All right? So that comes to £151.20. Not bad. Right? Now, here she is as a laundry maid doing the washing. Okay? 12 hours a week. I know the washing machine does most of it, but, you know. She hardly goes down to the river with a big stone these days, does she? Then you have the cleaner. Okay? Now, I know some of you think 10 hours a week cleaning. You've got to be joking. (laughs) Half an hour if you're lucky, really. No, more than that. Okay. Okay. So you think you're worth more. Well, there you go, ladies. You've got to be careful what mum thinks. Now then. First aid. Looking after you when you fall over. Putting on bandages and things. I've said, well, maybe an hour. You don't fall over too often. Perhaps you don't fall over too often. If you're feeling sick, looking after you. And then, shopper. Four hours a week. Longer if you've got to go to Tesco's, I know, but there we go. Then, a bit of gardening, perhaps. Three hours a week. Yeah, something like that, okay. This is my rough guess, you see. Now, what about an agony aunt? When you've got trouble at school, or you're worried about your homework, or you're worried about, perhaps you're a bit afraid of the dark or something, and mum comes in and makes you feel better. Maybe an agony aunt, somebody to talk to. Then there's a taxi driver. She's got to take you to all the clubs you go to. Maybe it's a football or the netball or the ballet or whatever it might be you go to. There's the total. £410 a week. And if you want to know how much that is a year, she's worth £21,340, 80 pence a year. Don't tell my wife that, will you? Because she might ask me for it. Okay? Well, of course. We can't work out how much a mum or a dad is worth simply by talking about money, can we? I'm sure if you were to ask you, you would say they are what we call priceless. There's just no money that's enough. I can tell you that's true because my children's mum died when one of them was just three years old. 
and she doesn't really remember her. And that makes her sad every Mothering Sunday. So it's priceless what your mum is worth. Don't forget that. She is more valuable than gold. More valuable than Wolverhampton Wanderers who had a bad loss yesterday. (laughs) More valuable than anything that you can think of. Your mum is priceless. And I want you to come out now because I believe there are some little gifts here that you're going to be giving to all the ladies. All right? Because most of them have been mums or are mums or whatever. So if you'd like to come out and grab a couple of them. If you want to come, you don't have to come, boys. If you don't love your mum enough to come and get her a gift, that's fine. I'm not going to use any force or... (coughs) That's it. If you'd like to take a couple of bags and take them to all the ladies. Oh! Oh, psychology worked then, did it? (laughs) There you go. Give them to all the ladies. Off you go. Wherever you can see a lady that hasn't got one. Make sure you give my wife one because I might like what's inside as well. (laughs) The reading I've been asked to bring to you this morning is from the book of Ephesians, which I believe you are following through at the moment. And chapter 5, beginning to read at verse 21. And when I was sent this reading, the comment was, very appropriate for today. And if you have read it in advance, you'll know why. Here we go. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Why are you looking at me, my love? (laughs) Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Thanks be to God for his word, even when at times it's difficult 
for us to comprehend and to fully understand. I pray that we'll get a little more understanding of it as we look at the word together in a few moments' time. We're going to sing two songs now. Please feel free to stand or sit as you feel able. The first one says, All I Once Held Dear. And then the second song is, Over All the Earth. As I say, please feel stand or sit as you feel comfortable. Before we sing our next song, and then before I bring you the word, just like you to read, I'd like to read to you a poem written by a child about his mum. I've left it for the mums that are here now. It's called When You Thought I Wasn't Looking. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw you hang my painting on the refrigerator and I wanted to paint another one. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw you feed a stray cat and I thought it was good to be kind to animals. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw you make my favourite cake for me and I knew that little things are special things. When you thought I wasn't looking, I heard you say a prayer and I believed there is a God I could always talk to. When you thought I wasn't looking, I felt you kiss me goodnight and I felt loved. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw tears come from your eyes and I learned that when things hurt, it's all right to cry. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw that you cared and I wanted to be the best that I could be. When you thought I wasn't looking, I looked and I wanted to say thanks for all the things I saw when you thought I wasn't looking. I haven't chosen a specific text from the reading this morning, but I wanted us to look in total at what I think, anyway, Paul was trying to say. Some two years ago, I suppose it was now, probably a little bit more even, my wife and another member of our church and myself went to a meeting organised by Cambridge County Council with regard to domestic abuse, with the idea that we would, as a church, Develop, develop a policy. It was quite a difficult time in some ways because of the things that we heard. And I'll just share with you some of the things that we learnt. In the end, we as a church have approved a policy opposed by some members of the church because they didn't believe that really any domestic abuse could possibly occur within a church. We felt differently and we went ahead. Just let me give you some statistics. These are from a couple of years ago, I think. Each year, nearly two million people in the UK suffer some form of domestic abuse. Two million people. That's about 1.3 million ladies, women... And 600,000 men. As men suffer domestic abuse as well. And we mustn't forget it. 
Each year, 100,000 people in the UK are at high and imminent risk of being murdered or seriously injured as a result of domestic abuse. <clears throat> 100,000 people. Women are more likely to, than men to be the victims. And in 2013-14, and I know it's a little bit out of date, the police recorded 887,000 domestic abuse incidents in England and Wales. Seven women a month are killed by a current or former partner in England and Wales. 130,000 children live in homes where there's high risk of domestic abuse. And they reckon that 62% of those children will go on to have difficult lives and are more likely to become victims or abusers themselves. Now, it's not meant to make you feel miserable or sad. It is, they are sad statistics. But we must, as Christians, I believe, live in the real world. And I think that's what Paul was doing here. And I hope I'll make that a little bit clearer in a moment. And to understand the necessity for Paul's letter in the first place, and particularly for this portion of scripture, we need to understand what marriage was like in the first century AD, the first century after Christ. Ephesus was a cosmopolitan area. People from all sorts of backgrounds. And there were three main kinds of marriages here. There were the Jewish marriages, the Greek marriages, and the Roman marriages. Now, marriage was held in high regard by the Jewish people. It was believed that everyone should get married. And that's why Paul's words, when he said, only marry if you burn, if you remember he said he would wish that everyone was more like him and be a bachelor and give themselves entirely to the Lord, but he said it is better to marry than to burn. He was at odds with the Jewish authorities yet again when he suggested that being single was fine and good and just as prosperous as far as the kingdom of God was concerned as being married. But the Old Testament laws at the time when Paul was writing had been largely ignored or made effective, meaning it was easy for a man to obtain a divorce. His wife only had to burn his dinner or go out with her head uncovered or worse still, say something unpleasant about her in-laws and he could divorce her. That's all she had to do. And if he had the excuse, he could divorce her. And if a Jewish husband saw a prettier woman that he would prefer to be his wife at this time, he could take her instead. Women could not divorce, but if a wife did choose to leave her husband, she had to leave the children behind. This was a society into which Paul was speaking at this time. In general, women were considered inferior to men and they were held in very low esteem. They were considered possessions on the level of animals and had no voice whatever in their relationship. And we can understand then why Joseph would have been so anxious 
when he found out that Mary was pregnant and he knew it was nothing to do with him. Women were possessions and chattels and had no voice at all. If you've ever been into a Jewish synagogue, you will know that the men took up the main body of the building of the, of the synagogue and the women were behind a screen, hidden away with no voice at all. They had to listen to what the men had to say, but they had no voice. So that was the Jewish side. And then there was the Greeks. It was considered necessary by the Greeks to marry to have heirs, legitimate heirs. But marriage was not considered particularly satisfying otherwise. The idea was that the Greek wife had to manage her husband's affairs. And so it was generally considered a good idea to marry her very young. And the average age amongst the Greeks, apparently, was about 14 years of age when the girls were married. The average age of the man at this time, and this is good research, I promise you, was about 37 when they got married. And she would be put in charge, but he would have to train her. That's why he wanted them so young. He wanted to train her to look after his household. And eroticism being part of the Greek life, a husband didn't need a wife for companionship, for love, or for sexual fulfillment. It was quite ordinary and quite allowed for him to go off and meet with any other woman or prostitute that he pleased. The wife's legal position was much like a child or a slave. And she went from the rule of her father to the rule of her husband. And if her husband died and they had a son, he would be in charge of her. There was common, little common ground between Greek husbands and wives. And finally the Romans. Very similar to the Greeks, but Roman wives did have a bit more freedom. They could own property, and a wife could obtain a divorce. However, the power over the family rested entirely in the hands of her husband or her father. So, because of the general imbalance in the marriage relationships of that day, one can begin to see the necessity for Paul to state where the Christian should stand in the midst of all this for a husband and wife. What should it be like? Now as men, we would like to begin this particular passage at verse 22, where it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. We'd like to begin and possibly end there. Certainly in Victorian days in this country, that was very much the case with Victorian husbands. They were in charge. But we really should not ignore verse 21, which is the verse before that verse. Paul writing to everyone says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul was here speaking to all believers, men, women, Jewish and Gentile Christians, slave owners, and slaves were to submit to one another, as Paul puts it, out of reverence for Christ. 
It has been suggested by some that this, in this passage of his letter, Paul was showing what a misogynist he was. What a woman hater in some ways. Women, you should wear hats in church. Why haven't you got your hat on, madam? Why haven't you got yours on? I hope you didn't sing. You're not allowed to speak in church. This is all put down to Paul, isn't it? When you read those particular passages, you will find that Paul, as he is here, was speaking into a particular situation that existed in the Corinthian church when he was talking about those things, where women were causing strife and trouble amongst the congregation. Here, he's speaking to husbands and wives of those who want to be Christians. It's far from being a misogynist text. What he's doing here, he's raising the position of women. It has been argued that he does not specifically say that men should submit at any time to their wives. But equally, nowhere does it say that women should love their husbands. Do we believe they should? Yes, of course we do. Do we believe husbands should submit to their wives? Sometimes. Of course we should. It happened this morning, actually. The way you see me dressed now is not how I was dressed about an hour and a half ago. My wife said, you're not going with that shirt, are you? I said, yes, I am. And I'm using this tie. The eyes went up. The next thing she appeared with another shirt and tie. The one you see that I'm wearing. Of course there will be disagreements. Of course there will be arguments. I never believe those people to you who say, we've been married for 50 years and we've never had a crossword. Hmm. I don't go along with that. It is not a question of whether you have a crossword or not. But whether one respects one another, whether one submits to one another at times when it's necessary to do so. And Paul raises the place of women in this passage. Within a marriage, comparing the relationship of the husband and the wife to the relationship between Christ and his church. As Christians were called upon to submit totally to the will of a loving God by respecting one another and submitting to one another. Marriage is a partnership of mutual trust and respect and love. Some of you may well remember Brian Clough. He was a football manager back in the 1980s. And he was famous for his few days that he spent at Leeds United. But he was even more famous, perhaps, for the fact that he took Nottingham Forest to win the European Cup two years running. Brian Clough was known for being outspoken. On one occasion, he was asked if he thought he was the best manager in the world. He said, no, but I'm in the top one. <laughs> On another occasion, he was asked... What he, how he reacted, I want to read his actual words in a moment, how he reacted 
when one of the playing staff suggested that he was doing things wrongly. He said this, well, I ask them what they think should be done. We get down to it, talk about it for 20 minutes, and then decide I was right. Now, there are some marriages a bit like that. Oh, yes, we'll talk about it. Let me hear what you think. And then, at the end, you know we're going to decide I was right. It's not the process that showed mutual respect, was it? It shows an attitude of arrogance in the belief that what I say goes. And this is not an attitude that Paul encourages in this passage. Yes, he does say that wives should submit to their husbands, but out of respect for the way that they are treated by the love of the husband. Then Paul talked about the reversal, that is, how a husband was to submit to his wife. It should be loving above everything else. And that concept was foreign to all those other types of marriages that I spoke about at the beginning. The Jewish, the Greek the Roman. And this was controversial. This was Paul raising the status of women, not lowering it, and saying, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. He couldn't put it any higher. Paul needed to deal in depth with the subject, and he proceeded to explain the kind of love a husband was to have for his wife. That's a sacrificial one, That goes beyond the word submission. He even went so far as to compare it with the love that Christ has for his bride, the church. That is, he was willing to die for it. What a totally different attitude to the people of his day. The relationship of a husband and wife who, as we read from the book of Genesis, have become one flesh. Must contain this life-giving dimension on the part of the husband if the marriage is to fulfill God's overall plan. There is nothing in this, nothing in what Paul says, that gives him the right to dominate, to rule or control, but only to love, encourage and release. Marriage is designated by God to be a perfect partnership, a partnership that mirrors Christ's love for his church. Amen. We sing as our final song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us.